Well, good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome home. We are so glad that you are here today. And we also this morning want to welcome those that are watching online. And we want to welcome our Columbus launch team uh, today who's actually getting ready for the launch of our second location in just a couple of weeks. And so we're excited about that. And we're excited uh, today to give away some of our resources this morning, our musicians to Columbus today to see God do amazing things. We're glad that you're here today and we're excited to see what God wants to do in here today. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up a series today called At the Core. Some things are non-negotiable. And what we're talking about in this series is lining up the things that are at God's core and making those things at our core. And I was thinking about that today and this morning I kind of got to laughing. Have you ever found yourself, especially adults maybe who have kids, have you ever uh, just started to realize that your dad's words have become your words? I mean, if you're, or maybe your mom's words have become your words, or your guardian's words have become your words, or a coach's words have become your words. I mean, we all sometimes begin to realize that some of the things that were said to us, we begin to say to other people. I was thinking about that because, you know, as a kid, uh, my dad and maybe some people in your life have these what I call staple statements where things they would say like, you know, be honest, don't hit your sister, you know, tell the truth, clean your plate. I mean, all these different things that, that we, you know, our folks say or people in our life say. And I remember, especially as a kid, some of the things that my dad would say, um, I got sick of hearing it. Now, my dad taught me to be respectful, so I never really would roll my eyes to his face. But I rolled my eyes in my heart a lot when I was growing up, especially when I was a teenager. And, you know, sometimes uh, I would just get to the point where I would say, you know, I would never have my son do that. Or I would never have, you know, I would never do what, what he's wanting me to do. And what's funny was when Noah was old enough for me to start getting him in trouble or start talking to him, I said something one day and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. My dad said the exact same thing to me that now I am saying to my child, I am old. And I, <laughs> and I also remember thinking that what was at my dad's core, what he was trying to teach me, was now at my core. And I was trying to teach my child. And really what this series is about is not just learning what our parents are teaching us, but it's learning that what God desires not our parents even, but what God desires and what's at His core would be the things that are at our core. In fact, you could say it another way, really, it's talking about obedience. Obedience on our part is how God determines that we are after His his heart. Say that with me. Obedience on our part is how God determines we are after His heart. You see, if we're after the things that are at God's core, then we are being obedient, and God is pleased with that. I said last week, and I, and I you know, feel the same way again this week, that the most important thing in life that God could say about you and me is that we are after His heart. 
that we are obedient. And we've been kind of talking about what, what you know, God has at his heart. And, and because of what God has at his heart, we want it to be at our church's heart, which is core values. That's what we've kind of been kind of looking at. And we've been looking at the life of David uh, last week. And then this week, we've got two more things we're going to be sharing about the life of David. And some of you know the story of David. We've been kind of jumping around in his life story. And we learned last week that God was displeased with this king of Israel. His name was Saul. And Saul was not after God's heart. Saul was not trying to please the Lord. The things at God's core were not at Saul's core, especially towards the end. And so God began to try to find a different king that would follow what he wanted him to follow. I mean, if you own a company, you want your employees to reflect what you reflect and the mission and values that you have. And God was not having what Saul was doing. And so God began to look for someone else that would reflect God's heart. And what's interesting is, is sometimes when we pick a leader, we have certain things we might pick and God looks at him differently. In fact, the leader that God picks is a kid. He's like this 12-year-old kid. He's, you know, frail. And God looks at David and he sees past the appearance. And he sees David's heart that wants to please God. And he looks at the prophet Samuel and he says, this is the next king of Israel. And really what David had going for him that attracted God to David was his obedient heart. And so what we learned last week is that David's obedient heart allowed him to put God first, to serve others selflessly, including his enemy. We unpacked that. And we also talked about how sometimes in our life we want to be our own fix. We don't want to go to other people with our problems. But David's obedient heart allowed him to rely on his friendship with David, which ended up saving his life. And today we're going to wrap things up looking at a couple more things that are at God's core and we're at David's core and he calls us to have at our core. David welcomes a stranger and David grows from his failures. And we're going to be talking today about the fact that there's times in our life where we can be kind of selective with who we welcome. And God calls us through his into his kingdom to welcome all people. And we also are going to see how David grew from his failures because oftentimes in our life, we have failures. In fact, all of us in here, not talking about the size of failures, but all of us in here have failed and will fail and know people that fail. And so what do you do with those? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be looking at two relationships to unpack that. And the first one is David and Mephibosheth. Okay, I had to practice that word because I kept getting it wrong. David and Mephibosheth. See if you can say that. David and Mephibosheth. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a mouthful. But if you don't know the story of David and Mephibosheth, David, you know, as I mentioned earlier, was, was going to be the next command, you know, in, in the kingdom. And, and Saul was the king at that time. And Saul dies in battle. And also Jonathan, which was David's friend, dies in battle. And so as a result of that, David's lost his king and David's lost his best friend. And so David begins to think of, you know, what can I do to honor Saul and honor my friendship with Jonathan. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, you may have started to ask yourself, what can I do? Is there anything else I can do 
to help someone? How can I comfort someone's load? I mean, some of us have some people in our life that are carrying some heavy loads, and you know who they are. I mean, sometimes it's you, but sometimes it's someone that you know. And so you begin to ask this question, well, what can I do? And David begins to ask that question. He says, is there anybody left? I mean, I know this war took place, and and Saul died, and Jonathan died, and and basically everybody's dead. Is there anybody that we could honor? Is there anybody that we can help as a result of this? Is there a foundation that we can start? Is there something we can do to show how much Jonathan meant to me and to honor our former King Saul? And somebody says to him, well, there's this kid of Jonathan's. His, he's, his name's Mephibosheth, and he's got crippled feet, and you know he's, he's homeless. He doesn't have a place to stay. He's not, you know, he doesn't have anything really to offer you, but there's this guy named Mephibosheth. And so David tells them to bring Mephibosheth to him, and David welcomes him into his home, and Mephibosheth walks into the house, and David's first thing that he says, I mean, this almost feels like a, a you know, foster care where you bring a child into your home for the first time. And David says, don't be afraid. I mean, throughout Scripture, how many times does God or an angel start with that? Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Now, that story may not seem like much, But because of his relationship with Jonathan, he shows friendship and and loyalty and hospitality to his son, Jonathan. And not only does he show him kindness by welcoming, welcoming him into his home, he goes even farther. He says, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me. Say that with me. With me at the king's table. So what we see in this story is not only does David welcome Jonathan, but he also gives or welcome Mephibosheth, but he also gives Mephibosheth everything that he has and is in land to boot. See, David's relationship with Jonathan enabled him to welcome his son Mephibosheth into his family. And folks, our relationship with Jesus in that same way should enable us to show kindness and hospitality to everyone, no matter their story. Amen? Our relationship with Jesus enables us to show kindness and hospitality to everyone, no matter their story. You know, sometimes it's really easy for us to show hospitality to the Jonathans, you know, the people in our lives that we have relationship with. It's easy for us to, to, to be kind to someone that's kind to us. It's easy for us to open our home to friends. It's easy for us as people come into the church to greet people who we know. It's easy for us when we're at work to, to be kind and show mercy and compassion and, and demonstrate Christ's likeness to people that we care about. But sometimes it's harder to, to show that compassion and show that hospitality to people maybe that we don't know. 
And one of God's values and one of the reasons that God loved David so much and one of the reasons that he, call, he calls our church to is to welcome others inside and outside our church family. See, Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let's read that together. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So I don't know if this guy went to church or not, but I know that he was kind and showed hospitality to me. I was a just had wheels. I don't know how old I was, 17, 16 years old. I had my own car. And I was actually, I grew up in this area, moved away for 10 years and came back. And I was actually on Quincy here. And I was driving towards heading west on Quincy. And I was, we didn't have phones back then, so I wasn't texting, but I was reaching down to grab something out of the seat. And I slowed down and I went right into the, ran right into the back of this guy's car. And the problem was, is that this guy's car was like a BMW or some kind of a luxury SUV car. And, and, you know, I was just mortified and I'm thinking I'm in trouble, you know, and, and he gets out of the car and he comes back and he looks at the, you know, the back of his car. And there was a couple of marks on his car. And I look at the front of my car and the, you know, the, the bumper, whatever's kind of sideways. And I'm reaching for my insurance, and, and I'm not advocating that this is what you should do. I'm just simply showing you what hospitality and love looks like. I think he saw the, the fear in my eyes, and I was going to be in trouble, probably the tears rolling down my face. He looked at his car, and he looked at me, and he goes, don't worry about it. I've never forgotten that. Now, I don't know if the guy went to church or not. I don't know if what he thought about God. I didn't ask him. But I know that's what God's love looks like. Your love for one another. Your welcoming spirit for the sinner, for the saint, for the straight, for the gay, for the Republican, for the Democrat, for the less than, for the affluent, The gospel welcomes all people. Jonathan and Mephibosheth. At the same time that David was just nailing it in life. I mean, David was after God's heart. God even said that. David served selflessly other people, including his enemies. I mean, who does that? David also submitted himself to this place where he was able to open himself up to Jonathan. And and then he welcomes in a stranger. And yet, in the midst of David just checking everything off, David's perfect. David's got all these things going on. David had some skeletons in his closet. David had some failures in his life. And there's a fairly familiar story that maybe some of us are familiar with. But if not, it's another story from David's life that shows where growth can happen. David had an affair with this lady named Bathsheba. David, the same David that slayed a giant and became king and was gracious towards Mephibosheth, also showed his humanity. David maybe started to, it doesn't say this in scripture, but David maybe started to believe the hype about himself because everybody was just 
for him. You know, I'm a Chiefs fan, and one of the things they've been writing lately is how humble Patrick Mahomes is staying despite all this success that he's having, and hopefully that'll continue to be the case. But it gets really easy sometimes to buy the hype that other people give you. David maybe began to buy into that hype that people thought about him. And so David decides, you know what, I don't need to go to the war the way, go to war the way that other kings do. And he finds himself at home, bored, trying to take a nap and can't sleep, goes out on the rooftop just to hang for a minute. And he notices this lady who's taking a bath, however far away, but was within his eyesight, asks who that is and calls her to his room and he sleeps with her. She ends up getting pregnant. This sounds like a soap opera. She ends up getting pregnant. He finds out that she's married. And he ends up calling this guy home. His name was Uriah. And he says, you know, if I call Uriah home, maybe they'll do the things that husbands and wives do. And he'll think the baby is his. But Uriah is so good. And he's like, why would I enjoy all of that when my you know, my crew that's out battling doesn't have that option. So he never even goes inside. He sleeps out on the porch. And David's like, man, I got to, this isn't not going to work. And so David ends up putting Uriah on the front lines. And David, Uriah ends up getting killed because of David's choice. And I mean, it just, it just ends up getting worse and worse and worse. And this same guy that was up here with God on paper, right? who had slayed this giant, who had been so obedient that God called him a man after his own heart, has now found himself in this place where the Lord is displeased with him. In fact, that's what he tells the prophet Samuel. God says, I'm displeased with David. And so there's some consequences because of that. And so we end up finding out that this baby that was growing in Bathsheba's stomach ends up passing away. And Scripture says that the sword never leaves David's house because of his sin. And I mean, God begins to just kind of dump all these consequences on David for his failing because the grace of God, the grace of Jesus isn't there yet. We're still under law. We don't get to grace till the New Testament. So David has these epic failures. What do you do with epic failures? I'm not talking about a a tragedy that happens, a crisis that you didn't cause or somebody else, you know, caused. I'm not talking about cancer or those things that happen that we can't control. I'm talking about what do you do when you fail or someone else fails? How do you handle that? Because the reality is, we can't go back. The reality is, what are we going to do now? And we see in this story that what's a part of God's core, I realize it's taken me a long time to get here, but we see it at at, at what's at God's core isn't just the good stuff. God has some good stuff for us even when we fail. Amen? God has some, there's 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 some hope, there's There's a way out of this pit. And you've either been in the pit, you are in the pit, or you will be in the pit, but all of us at a minimum know someone that's in the pit right now. What do you do with your failures? Nathan, 
takes the message that God has told him and he goes to David with it. Naturally, David is devastated. He knows that he's to blame for it, but also devastated. I kept looking in Scripture for this place where it says David had suicidal thoughts for his affair and his murderous actions, but I couldn't find it. I kept looking maybe for some place in Scripture after this took place where David went into some kind of clinical depression and started cutting himself and started just being a shell of himself and started believing what Satan wanted him to believe and do. I started looking for some place in Scripture where David's life was never the same again. I mean, obviously there was consequences that changed his story. But I couldn't find a scripture in there that said that David gave up on God or David gave up on himself. Instead, the only scripture that I could find in, verse, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 was this. David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, yes, you have. But the Lord has forgiven you. And your life is not over. You won't die for this sin. See, I think that one of the most tragic things that happens in a person's life is not their sin. It's their inability to get over what happened. It's their inability to let God have what happened. I believe that the biggest strategy is not the failure, it's this inability to get up from the failure. See, David's, here's the good news, David's repentant heart helped him find resurrection with God. Now, don't think of Easter. I'm not talking about Jesus raising from the dead. Now, because Jesus raised from the dead, you know, and and that we have the resurrection day, we can be resurrected because Jesus was resurrected. Amen? We believe that. Amen? We believe that. I'm not talking specifically about that. What I'm saying here today and what we see in this passage of Scripture where David laments and repents is David's repentant heart gave him a resurrected story. David's story was altered and compromised because of his sins. But David's life was not over. And can I tell you today, that a repentant heart is the key to reclaiming reclaiming the life that God has for you. A repentant heart enables God to take your story and your mess and rewrite it and make it into something meaningful that has purpose, that glorifies God. We see this play out. It's one of my favorite verses when I feel like I just stink. You know, I feel like I'm just not what God wants me to be. I just read this psalm. 
Like, if you're ever just having a bad day, read Psalm 51. David has just had Uriah killed and has just learned of his sin with, you know, Nathan and has committed this sin with Bathsheba. And he writes this big, long psalm. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read you the first couple verses. He says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. It doesn't it doesn't sound like in, the, in those writings, and if you continue reading in that psalm, it doesn't sound like somebody who's given up. It doesn't sound like somebody who's going to let their failures define them. It sounds like someone at their core understands that God is a forgiving God. God is a just God, but God is also a God of mercy and a God of compassion. And it sounds like someone who has repented and feels sorry for what they did. I mean, you know, there's those times where like, and I'm just being honest in my family, where Noah will, you know, hit his sister or yell at his sister and I'll look at him and say, you need to say you're sorry. And he'll go, I'm sorry. But then there's those times where someone will come to you or you go to someone and they apologize to you or you apologize to them or maybe it's mutual and you know that it's not just I'm sorry. It's from the depths of my heart. I grieve. I lament. I mourn what happened, what I did, what you did. And I am sorry. And it's in those moments that God is gracious with us and God calls us to be gracious with others. And because of that, we, we grow. I mean, I don't know about you, but some of, the, some of my best growth as a person in life were not from easy people. It was from difficult people. Some of my best growth in life were not from my wins, if you want to call them that. It was from my failures. All of us want to hopefully... Grow in our faith. But sometimes to grow, we have to not cheat that process. I mean, God's value in life and, and our church's value, and hopefully all of us as we read Scripture's value, is that we would seek to grow in Christ's likeness, including our failures. I mean, what do we do with our failures? I want to talk to you for just a minute, and really this is the, the most important part of this message today because, you know, this is the starting point. Adultery, murder, judgmentalness, you know, the way that people maybe wouldn't welcome Mephibosheth into their life or someone else that, that has a different skin tone than we do or, or doesn't, 
you know, prefer the same things we prefer. I mean, there's all these different things that we start with. I mean, prejudices and, 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 and sexual immorality and, and selfishness. And, and I mean, all these things that you could list over and over and over. And the goal here, right, is maturity to, to, to grow past them. It's not that we need to get over what happened. We need to grow beyond it. It happened, but it's not defining us. I mean, this is growth. And this is our failure or someone else's failure that's wounded us. What's in the middle? Stay with me. Death and resurrection must happen before growth. I mean, because Jesus died and resurrected, we can have growth. But there's a dying to our sin and a dying to to what happened and a repenting that takes place that allows us to be resurrected into a new story which produces growth. Listen to this quote. Maybe I'll explain it a little better. Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ bids a man to follow, he bids him come and die. Jesus did not say come and grow, but come and die. And he showed us what that means by his own example. We have this children's book at home, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's about this, I'm probably butchering this, but I think it's about a goose or a duck that wants to make bread. And he asks people in the yard, the different animals, would you help me collect the wheat? Would you help me collect the eggs? Would you help me? Some of you may remember this. And every time he asks somebody, they say, not, not I, said the duck. Not I, says the pig. Not I. But at the very end of the story, when the bread's made, he said, who would help me eat it? And they all say, hey, I'll help you eat it. I don't want to help you cook it, but I'll help you eat it. And all of us want to grow in Christ, but not all of us want to die to our sin. See, everyone wants to grow, but no one wants to die. I'm not talking a literal death. Everyone wants to mature to where you can get over what happened. Everyone wants to mature to where you can get over what, hap- what they did. But no one wants to let God crucify it inside of themselves. Paul says, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of what? Dead to the power of sin and alive to God. How? Through Christ. Through Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul said that explains what I just said. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion is death. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You hear stories, and we hear some really neat stories from our church over the years, and where people are completely different than they used to be. I mean, some of you have told me your story and you were a, a drunk or you fought with anybody who'd look at you or you 
you had a, a wandering eye or whatever it is. I mean, I've heard story after story. And you met the Lord and he and, and you repented, you know, you, you, you confessed that you were wrong and you, and you said you were not only sorry, but that your aim, you're not perfect, but your aim is to go a different direction. And on the other side of that is this growth that people see. There's this kid, Rich, in our youth group. And kids at school would say, you know what? Rich is different than he used to be. Something's different about him. What are they seeing? They saw repentance. They don't know it. They, they couldn't articulate this. But here's what happened. He repented. He died to the way he used to be. God's resurrected him. And what they saw wasn't all that. They saw growth. Growth is on the other side of the curtain. Everything else is behind the curtain. Growth is the tip of the iceberg of underneath of death and resurrection. Folks, can I tell you today that we want God to grow us and change us and shape us so that we can be a better husband or a better wife or a better friend or have more compassion or you fill in the blank. I mean, you fill in the blank. But for growth to happen, we have to let God take control and be crucified in Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I can only tell you my story. I was the biggest liar on planet earth growing up. My character was zero. And when I found God and I meant it, not just, you know, I'm going to try this. When I said, Lord Jesus, and I mean this as a testimony, not as anything else. Lord Jesus, I have a lying tongue and it is, it is toxic in relationships in my life. And I admit to you that I don't know how to be different. It's all I know. My whole life I've been a liar. But I am done with it. I meant it from the core of my being. And I want to tell you today as a testimony that death, resurrection, I died to that. I was done with it. God resurrected something different inside my heart, which is that middle thing on your screen up there. He resurrected an honest tongue and an honest spirit. So then over time, people started to say, you know what, I, can, I think I can believe what Kyle has to say. I, I'm seeing growth. We all want the honest tongue. We all want to be free from different things in our life that, that hold us down. Folks, the death and the resurrection have to happen first. David failed really bad. But his love for God, oh, this is good. But his love for God was bigger than his failure, was bigger than what he did. His love for God was bigger than what he did. And can I tell you today, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online or the launch team that's in Columbus today, or you listen to this later this week, I want to tell you today 
If you want to grow, you have to die. If you want a resurrected story, you got to let God crucify your carnal story. Now, we may not like that, but that's a true story. God is bigger than your failure. God is bigger than your prejudices. God is bigger than black and white. God is bigger than Republican and Democrat. God is bigger than someone that you don't understand. God is bigger than that person who molested you. God is bigger than the person that you committed sin against. God is bigger and greater and his love is bigger and greater. And as he fills us with his love and his compassion, he transforms us. Can I tell you today, for some of us, the grudge you hold for someone else's failure has become your God. But if we have obedient hearts, we begin to realize that God has to be bigger than our grudge. Obedience on our part determines that we are after his heart. So what do you do with your failures? Understand that Jesus died so you can grow beyond them. His death and resurrection give us the strength to give death to our sin and find a new story.